0: Welcome to episode 108 of Real Life Ghost Stories. How you do? To kick things off this week, we need to thank our newest Patreon subscribers. We would like to thank Holly,
1: Deirdre Hayes,
0: Nikki Hernandez,
1: Carolyn Morrisrow,
0: Emily Leidig, Sophie Buck, Kristen Hooker, Sarah Kelly, Danny Peterson,
1: and Charlotte Campbell.
0: Thank you so much for being our Patreon subscribers. We appreciate you. We really do. Every day.
1: Every day. Sorry for interrupting you. I forgot that was... That's okay. There's a bit more to it.
0: I'll let it slide this time. Thanks. Next time. (laughs) (laughs) And our film review this week. Our film review is Skeleton Key. Skeleton Key was released in 2005. It has 6.5 out of 10 on IMDb and 38% on Rotten Tomatoes. Would you like a synopsis? Yes, I would. While taking care of her patient, a young live-in nurse in a New Orleans plantation finds herself caught in a web of horror involving morbid hoodoo practitioners. What were your thoughts on this
1: film? It wasn't particularly scary, but I did find it very interesting. So it worked quite well on a sort of storyline basis in a way. I kind of enjoyed the story. I wanted to know what was going on. I paid attention till the end which I do for most films, but I wanted to rather than just for the sake of the fact that we were reviewing it. It wasn't amazing, but I didn't
0: mind it. I have to say, before we go any further, that Kate Hudson's character in the film, what was her name? Cassie? Carrie? Whichever, whatever her name was. Caroline. 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 It was Caroline. Totally deserved every bit of misfortune that came her way (laughs) because she was an absolute bitch I'm sorry but you cannot go around treating people like that in life and think that it's acceptable just because you've got questions that need to be answered so she's bopping around she goes to this like isolated plantation house and the man is you know it's end of life care they're a relatively young couple saying, like, in their 60s, the wife is a bit standoffish because she's like, I don't want somebody coming into my house to look after my my dying husband. I can do it on my own. She's just like, fuck her then. Storms out. She's like, well, if she doesn't want my help, what am I meant to do? And she is, and I was like, well, I feel like that's not really the way you'd behave, especially when you're used to being around death, you know? i just uh, i just found it a bit staggering and then later on in the film she spends i'd, I'd say about 70 percent of this film is kate hudson rifling through people's drawers yeah <laughs> when it's none of her damn business you know she goes into this gas station because she assumes they might have the answer to a question that she's looking for and the poor old woman in the gas station is blind so kate hudson just walks in terrifies the life out of her and it starts going through all her stuff yep. sorry you deserve you deserve to be hexed
1: And I think that's part of the problem with it, really, because obviously, ultimately, she ends up being right.
0: But she's so unlikable.
1: But there was nothing really in the lead up to that, to her starting her investigation that would have triggered anybody to think about it. So the the reason she ends up discovering what's going on in the film is because she can't help herself when she's looking around the attic and she has to go digging and rooting through their stuff
0: all of their personal belongings when she literally the woman in the house literally said please don't go through my stuff yep which is again that is an understandable thing that nothing freaky has happened in the house so far there's no reason for her to be thinking nope. I need to go through this woman's personal items to find out what's going to. on <laughs> she it, she really irrationally annoyed me as a character and the only saving grace about her character was her really sensible best friend and her best friend was like mate do not go messing in things that you don't understand and what does she do? Mess in things that she doesn't understand.
1: Yeah, and I, I mean,
0: I really wanted her to be wrong. She just... has the answer
1: as well, like because she was so skeptical about everything for ages, and that was really her downfall. Because then she wasn't skeptical; she just stayed skeptical.
0: She would have been fine. Yeah, she just really she her character really stressed me out. And we can, well, we also need to talk about the um, male protagonist who is the lawyer of the family yeah. and his bizarre accent that's terrible accent. That i've never heard anywhere like it on earth it's i would imagine
1: he took the approach that in order to sound like he was from louisiana he had to not pronounce the majority of the word
0: yes so letters just yeah. certain letters <laughs> just didn't exist which made his <laughs> dialect just so bizarre
1: now i like the southern what's known as the southern drawl i like it but that's taking the drawl part of the southern drawl a little bit too far but yeah it was okay it was you know it's it's a fun. It is a relatively fun watch. I think wasn't particularly scary. Did make me jump twice, but it's all right.
0: Yeah, it's just it's difficult to talk about it without ruining it because it's one of those films where you just have to watch it. If you've seen it, you know you know you know what happens. If you haven't seen it, I would recommend giving it a watch because it's it's fine. Like it's a nice way to pass a couple of hours. It's, I mean she just deserved it i'm sorry I'm, so- I'm just gonna keep saying that i probably would have shot her as well <laughs> if she'd been rifling through my stuff and i specifically asked her not to <laughs> so what would you give this film out of five
1: i think three i don't think it deserves a lot more but it is watchable and if i was to stumble across it on the tv channels i'd probably watch it again
0: yeah do you know what i'm probably going to give it a three as well I think the reason why Kate Hudson's character was so annoying is because they tried to portray this strong woman who, you know, could sort things out and figure things out on her own. But they didn't, they really went the wrong way about trying to portray that. And she just came off as a very rude, arrogant character, which was really, it was really difficult to want her to be right and to want her to come out the victor in the end. Uh, is it is it reflective of life in louisiana or in those sort of like remote swamp areas i don't know but was it interesting yeah i guess it was so a three all around which brings us to our story this week
1: i can only presume that we're doing a movie about poltergeists
0: a movie about poltergeists did i say
1: a movie yeah An episode about poltergeists.
0: So what do you know about Voodoo?
1: I know very little. Only what I touched upon when I was doing the research for the Robert Johnson episode. So beyond that, not very much really, to be honest.
0: Fair. And I didn't know I knew very little about it as well, actually. And the reason I decided to watch Skeleton Key was because my sister suggested um hello Sarah if you're listening, I'm very sorry I didn't like it but also i thought maybe we should do an episode about voodoo and i'm going to say before we start that voodoo is complex there is a wealth of history behind it i've done lots of research however if i say something that isn't correct then please feel free to to let me know but it it's not coming from a place of willful, willful ignorance you know i have i have tried to research as much as possible i'm also aware that there's many different Um, like facets of voodoo so we're going to be focusing mainly on haitian voodoo and the roots of haitian voodoo and what it looks like today and then we're going to tell a couple of stories
1: okay Oh,
0: okay i'm really excited about this episode because it is so fascinating
1: i'm a little bit nervous so are you ready no
0: before we start the um the i'm going to give you a little brief history of voodoo and it's going to be very brief it's the information comes from a livescience.com article which I'll leave in the description but also randomly an article in Cosmopolitan that was written by a modern day hoodoo practitioner.
1: Oh wow, which okay. is
0: absolutely worth a read and I will also leave the link in the description. So let's do this. Voodoo is a sensationalized pop culture caricature of Voodoo an Afro-Caribbean religion that originated in Haiti, though followers can be found in Jamaica, the Dominican Republic, Brazil, the United States, and elsewhere. And it has very little to do with so-called voodoo dolls or zombies. Voodoo refers to a whole assortment of cultural elements, personal creeds and practices, including an elaborate system of folk medical practices, a system of ethics transmitted across generations, including proverbs, stories, songs and folklore. Voudon is more than belief. It is a way of life. And that was written by Leslie Desmangels, a Haitian professor at Hartford's Trinity College, in the Encyclopedia of the Paranormal, which was written in 1996. Voudon teaches belief in a supreme being, an unknowable and uninvolved creator god. Vudan believers worship many spirits, called Loa, each one of whom is responsible for a specific domain or part of life. So, for example, if you're a farmer, you might give praise and offerings to the spirit of agriculture. If you are suffering from unrequited love, you would praise or leave offerings for Ezra Frida, the spirit of love, and so on. In addition to helping or impeding human affairs, Loa can also manifest themselves by possessing the bodies of their worshippers. Followers of Voodan also believe in a universal energy and a soul that can leave the body during dreams and spirit possession. In Christian theology, spiritual possession is usually considered to be an act of evil, either Satan or some demonic entity trying to enter an unwilling human vessel. In Wudon, however, possession by Loa is desired. In a ceremony guided by a priest or a priestess, this possession is considered a valuable first-hand spiritual experience and a connection with the spirit world. Wudon originated with slaves who combined elements of their West African traditions and beliefs with Roman Catholicism imposed upon them by their masters in a process called syncretism. A 1685 law forbade the practice of African religions and required all masters to Christianize their slaves within eight days of their arrival. Slavery was condoned by the Catholic Church as a tool for converting Africans to morally upright Christians. But the slaves that were forced to adopt Catholic rituals gave them double meanings and in the process many of their spirits became associated with Christian saints. Furthermore, Desmangel notes that many of the African spirits were adapted to their new milieu in the New World. Ogun, for instance, the Nigerian spirit of ironsmiths, hunting and warfare, took on a new persona. He became Ogu, the military leader, who has led phalanxes into battle against oppression. In Haiti today, Ogu inspires many political revolutions that oust undesirable and oppressive regimes. Though Haitian slavery ended in the early 1800s, followers of Voodan were often persecuted by authorities who demonised their religion. An 1889 book titled Haiti, or The Black Republic, falsely attributed human sacrifices, cannibalism and other atrocities to Voodan, further spreading fear of the religion. Many fundamentalist Christians still regard Voodan and Voodoo with suspicion, associating it with the occult and black magic and satanism even today voodoo is often used as an adjective to describe something that is unknowable mysterious or simply unworkable the voodoo popular in movies and fiction bears little resemblance to real voodoo beliefs or practices voodoo has become a prominent feature of the new orleans tourism industry with countless shops, tours, exhibits and museums capitalising on that city's historic and, some experts say, tenuous connection to voodoo. Of course, stripping sacred objects and rituals out of their original context for commercial exploitation is nothing new. Witness Chinese-made Native American dreamcatchers for sale at dollar stores. In the end, voodoo has a largely undeserved reputation as a sinister religion, Though some voodoo rituals involve animal sacrifices, that's hardly unique. Many other religious traditions involve animal bloodletting, including Christianity, Islam, Judaism and Hinduism. The irony is that voodoo's best known and most sensational features, including voodoo dolls and zombies, have little to do with its actual beliefs and practices. So what's the difference then between voodoo and hoodoo? Hoodoo is actually its own practice, with its own rules and history. In fact, the practice isn't even called spells, but work or chores. It's also been appropriated by many people, so a lot of misinformation is floating around online. Hoodoo, at its core, is an African-American tradition. It was created by enslaved people from various spiritual practices that they adapted to the land they found themselves in. Hoodoo is also known by other names, mainly conjure or root work. People who practice hoodoo work with a number of tools such as candles, curios and of course roots and herbs. Ancestor veneration is particularly important. Movies often show hoodoo as dark or harmful, but most of the work that people who practice hoodoo do is concerned with healing and protection. There's a lot of confusion about hoodoo and voodoo. If you think they're the same, you're not alone. But they're very different. As a religion voodoo has specific practices, some of which you have to be ordained to perform. It has religious leaders, known as Mambos and Hungans, who oversee these practices. It has a set of deities and spirits that are worshipped and respected. Hoodoo, by contrast, does not have those things. Although there is a belief in spirits and life-giving energies, there are no specific gods or god that you must follow, You are free to worship any gods, or not, that you want. There is no organized hierarchy. This isn't to say there are no rules to working with roots. There are, but it does not have the specific structure associated with religion. So we're going to pause there briefly Mm -hmm. and just digest that for a second before we get into any stories. Is that contrary to what you thought of voodoo and hoodoo?
1: Um, It was up until I started researching for Robert Johnson, and then I sort of found the difference between the two, there. I didn't realize how structured voodoo was, I guess, as a religion. Voodoo was as a religion. No, I didn't either. Having needing to be ordained and to do certain things and stuff like that. I guess it's just the narrative that we spin on things that we don't understand, isn't it, really?
0: It's a, a fear of otherness, isn't it? And if you think about, like, there was a an agenda, I guess, when people wrote those books about, like, cannibalism and, and people being slaughtered in the name of voodoo. It was to promote this idea that it was something really dark and to be feared and we shouldn't accept it. And, you know, Christianity is the way forward. But actually, when you watch voodoo, I, I keep saying voodoo, I know it's voodon, but when you watch the, the practices that they do, like, they are really fascinating. Yeah. But They're really interesting.
1: It's hardly surprising, is it? Because if you think Haiti one of the first places to have a slave re- successful slave rebellion and overthrow white slave ownership, it's not surprising that a negative narrative was spun about the main religion. The
0: Haitian people at the time said that the reason that they won was because of certain voodoo deities that had their backs in battle basically and encouraged them to fight in the first place. So you have these slaves who rose up in revolt and quashed their white owners who prior to battle were doing these rituals with animal blood and stuff. And it's go- it, obviously it's going to kind of, it's going to freak people out because it's something they've never seen before and it's an otherness and it seemed to give this incredible power. And we talked about the zombie stories in, when we talked about Clervius Narcisse, like they're they're, I mean, they're not true. There's like actual zombies, yeah. but you can see how that narrative kind of became Hollywoodized because it's it's perfect for films and TV and to scare people. You know, voodoo dolls and zombies. Can somebody in a completely different country or town or city have a doll of you and cause problems for you?
1: And I guess it's just this view of what it, what is deemed uncivilized as well. So you have plucked all these people from their land and their culture which you never understood in the first place, put them somewhere else. They've kept. They've managed to keep some semblance of their culture and adapted it to the land. But it still doesn't make sense to you because they're just property. And then suddenly they have a big victory over you. Kind of makes sense as to why you'd put it in that negative light, doesn't it, really?
0: So as a result of that, right, it was really hard to find stories about voodoo, like real-life ghost stories about mm. voodoo, because a lot of them are, I mean, they're written and they are essentially no sleep stories, right? They're, they're not, when I say no sleep, I mean the Reddit thread, no mm. sleep, which is where people post made up horror stories and made up ghostly experiences. And a lot of the stories, you know, they they involved things about voodoo that we now know are sensationalized and not actually reflective of what voodoo is and what people who practice voodoo would consider it. I, I watched a couple of videos that were incredible and one of them was um, about a voodoo queen in Brooklyn in the modern day and they kind of visited her voodoo temple and they attended one of their rituals where they call the loa to come and possess them and it is fascinating like this woman doesn't smoke or doesn't drink and there's one particular loa who is a bit of a bit of a lad bit of a drinker likes his rum she necked a bottle of rum and was not only not drunk she was completely sober and didn't even... And the guy was like, at the end, he was like, she doesn't even smell like alcohol. How is, how is this possible? Wow. Like, incredible stuff. She was smoking, at one point, two cigarettes at the same time, but with the lit end in her mouth. Honestly, Whoa. this is like... <laughs> I, so I can see how people find it so different to anything they might have experienced because it's wild when you watch, especially when they're inviting possession from these loa.
1: I feel like there must be something to it, though, because again, it's 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 linked back to first people, religion, and understanding of the world, isn't it? That like, it's coming from Africa, you know. It's west. It's got West African roots. There's, there has to be something to it.
0: So I've got two stories for you today, and the first is a very famous story that if we have people who live in New Orleans that are listening, and I'm fairly sure we do have Voodoo practitioners that listen or at least people who practice hoodoo. And the first story is The Curse of Julia Brown.
1: Ooh, I don't know anything about that. God, that sounded really sarcastic. I mean, I, I genuinely don't know anything about that. I don't know why I put it in the <laughs> When voice. I
0: said The Curse of Julia Brown, you just went, ooh, <laughs> <Yeah>. Julia Brown. <laughs> I don't know
1: anything about that. I actually genuinely don't. I don't know why I put that tone of voice on, sorry.
0: The Manchac wetlands, about a half an hour northwest of New Orleans, are thick with swamp ooze. In the summer, the water is pea-green, covered in tiny leaves and crawling with insects that hide in the shadows of the ancient ghost-grey cypress trees. The boaters who enter the swamps face two main threats, aside from sunstroke and dehydration. The alligators, who mostly lurk just out of view, and the broken logs that float through the muck, remnants of the days when the swamp was home, to the now-abandoned logging town of Ruddock. But some say that anyone entering the swamp should beware a more supernatural threat. The curse of local voodoo queen Julia Brown. Brown, was sometimes called Julia White or Julia Black, is described in local legend as a voodoo priestess who lived at the edge of the swamp and worked with residents of the town of Frenier. Frenier. She was known for her charms and her curses, as well as singing eerie songs with her guitar on her porch. One of the most memorable and disturbing went, One day, I'm going to die and take the whole town with me. According to census from the time, Julia Bernard was born in around 1845 in Louisiana. Not much is known about her early life, but it is thought that she was in New Orleans around the 1860s. In New Orleans, Julia took her place as a voodoo healer. Louisiana was home to many healers from many different traditions. It was rural and doctors were few and far between, so healers of all faiths and creeds were welcomed and respected and worked hard to serve the local community. In 1880, Julia married a man named Celestin Brown. Celestin was awarded a 40-acre plot of land by the federal government, and the couple moved to a new settlement called Frenier. It's important to note that this part of the story is all verified by census records, but also by Bloody Mary, a voodoo priestess in New Orleans, who has found references in records to a voodoo queen named Brown, who practised in New Orleans and then moved to Frenier. As cabbage farmers moved from Germany to Louisiana, Frenier became a thriving little community, They grew cabbage and sold lumber, but regardless of the level of monetary success, the community still remained isolated. There were no roads into the town, only a railroad track that delivered supplies from the nearest town, therefore there wasn't any easy access to a doctor. Julia became known as Aunt Julia Brown and was the midwife and healer for the community and was respected and well-liked and was an integral part of this tight-knit and prosperous little town. All in all, Julia Brown sounds like a strong, intelligent woman who worked for the betterment of her community. So why then are we talking about her? If you go to Frénier today, you can go on a guided tour of the Manchac Swamp. In that tour, you'll come to a wooden grave plaque marked 1915. It's a mass gravesite, but the plaque itself isn't real. It's a prop a well-placed prop that prompts the telling of a curious little story about Aunt Julia Brown. Because Aunt Julia's ghost still haunts the Manchac Swamp, along with the ghosts of the entire town that lived alongside her. While Aunt Julia is described as being a healer and the cornerstone of their remote community, she is more widely remembered as being the antagonist in the most compelling ghost story of the area. The Curse of Aunt Julia Brown Helen Schlosser Berg was a contemporary of Aunt Julia and actually knew her well she recalled how Aunt Julia would sit on her front porch and strum on her guitar and make up silly little songs except for that one song that felt much darker than all the others and didn't really feel so silly to the local people she sang that one day she would die and and the whole town would die with her. What actually happened to cause Aunt Julia Brown's death is unclear, but a newspaper report from New Orleans on the 2nd of September outlines the story. On the 29th of September 1915, a massive hurricane swept in from the Caribbean and destroyed the town of Frenier. The storm surge rose 13 feet and the winds howled at 125 miles an hour. Many of the townsfolk sought refuge in the local railroad depot, which collapsed and killed 25 people. Altogether, close to 300 people in Louisiana died, with almost 60 in Frenier and Ruddock alone. When the storm cleared on October 1st, Frenier, Ruddock and Napton had all been entirely destroyed. Homes flattened, buildings demolished and miles of railroad track was washed away. One of the few survivors later described how he'd clung on to an upturned cypress tree and shut his ears against the screams of those drowning in the swamp. The hurricane seemed to come out of nowhere. But if you listen to the guides who take tourists into the Manshack Swamp, the storm was the result of the wrath of Julia Brown. Brown, they say, laid a curse on the town because she felt taken for granted. A curse that came true when the storm swept through on the day of her funeral and killed everyone around her. It was widely reported that her funeral was being well attended with people travelling from New Orleans to pay their respects to a woman who had featured heavily in New Orleans life and in the life of the small communities in Frenier and beyond. A newspaper described her as being well known and a big property owner. Aunt Julia's body was placed in a casket and the casket, in turn, had been placed in a wooden box as was customary for the area. When the box was sealed a noise began that sounded like a freight train approaching at an alarming rate. But it wasn't a freight train. It was a hurricane. People fled Aunt Julia's funeral and the vast majority of them didn't survive. It is now widely reported that many people attended her funeral out of fear because they thought it might appease her and stop the curse that she had predicted in so many little songs for so many months before.
1: I like the idea, I like the sound of this Auntie Julia. She sounds like a pretty cool character. It sounds to me like one hell of a coincidence.
0: Do you think? (laughs) That is very unlike you to say. (laughs)
1: Um, I don't, I don't, there doesn't seem to be any reason and that may just be because you know there's no evidence of it but there doesn't seem to be any reason that would lead her to curse other than just you know it almost sounds like you jump into jumping through hoops to try and reach for the idea that she might have felt underappreciated sounds to me as though you know she's one of the few people that actually got their 40 acres and a mule which was promised yeah Post,
0: and she ended up owning that land yeah. when her husband died he, they had they died there's no record of them having any children so when he died she would have owned all of that land and the newspaper from the time genuinely said that she's a well-known woman and a property owner which is massive for mm. a woman at the time right yeah. so it sounds like she you know she she had a pretty pretty good life going on
1: it doesn't it doesn't seem to be a real like but obviously we've got fleeting details haven't we because it was a long time ago and i never met her i don't know about you I did, but it was oh, a long God.
0: time ago as well, and I was very drunk, but continue. <laughs> um,
1: but there doesn't seem to be any real logical reason, and I feel like the the sort of one that the guides give is very sort of, you know, fumbling around in the dark, and that's the most obvious thing you can put your hands on, I think. It's very loose, hard to prove, hard to disprove, do you know what I mean? Which, to me, normally means it's a story. I don't know. I like I'd like the idea that you curse the whole town. It's super scary. It adds to her power. And but all, but like,
0: also, like... There's no reason for her to do
1: it. And it feels like a pretty baller move to just <laughs> to just go, do you know what, fuck you all. Yeah, when, when I I'm die, done, I'm taking you all with me. <laughs> but it also sounds like, you know, how many comical songs do you sing a day?
0: Oh, I sing comical songs all day, every
1: day. Yeah. So maybe she's just bopping around on the guitar. You know, I don't see like just her singing songs about a curse on the town doesn't necessarily mean she's actually placed one. It's a cool story though, isn't it?
0: I did write a little bit more, if you want to hear it. It's easy for a narrative to be reframed as time goes by. The tour guides in the swamp will certainly tell you that Aunt Julia Brown cursed the town because she was relegated to the outskirts as an outsider and therefore sought revenge in her death. But the oral histories and even newspaper reports don't seem to verify this. She was respected and welcomed in the community both in New Orleans and Frenier, There are reports of her travelling to other towns to assist with medical issues there. Some reports claim that she was relegated to living on the outskirts of town and was subsequently isolated by the community. That's probably an unfair assumption to make. It is often the case in history that healers, or traiteurs, as they were known in Louisiana, would live in homes that would provide privacy for their visitors and clients. It makes sense that if you need to visit a healer, you probably don't want the town to know about it. It's also recorded that her husband was given 40 acres and there's no record of them having children so she would have inherited all of the land when he died. It seems like the death of Aunt Julia Brown and the hurricane were a timely and sad coincidence. Some people believe that rather than Aunt Julia doling out a curse on the town she was actually given some sort of warning or just had a knowing that the storm was coming and would coincide with her death. Either way It seems that the curse of Aunt Julia Brown has coincided with the Hollywoodisation of voodoo and also the development of a tourism industry in the swamps of Louisiana. Every remote location needs a good ghost story. And what better than a voodoo queen with the ability to control the weather?
1: I'm going to put you on the spot here and I feel it's very mean. Did you read it or watch anything that would suggest that our concept of voodoo is actually anything to do with hollywood or is it more just a western narrative well you said the hollywoodization of voodoo in that story i was just wondering if you read anything to say like this view is developed as a result of you know the golden age of cinema where no i didn't read anything
0: like that and i feel like hollywoodization is probably just a nice term to use for it yeah but it is i I, i'd imagine you're right that it is just how voodoo is perceived by a western eye rather than it actually coinciding with hollywood films about it however i do think the hollywood has perpetuated Oh yeah, the undoubtedly undoubtedly.
1: but i just wondered it wasn't um I'm not, i wasn't calling you out on it it was more if you'd read anything that sort of like someone had pinpointed it to films in particular rather than
0: wasn't there when we did Clavius narcisse wasn't there didn't we talk about films at the time possibly yeah. that came out like zombie films and stuff that came out like really old hollywood ones mm. and i can't remember it potentially i can't actually remember Um, I probably should have gone back and listened to that episode before we did this, but (laughs) I didn't think to do that. Um, So like I said, it was really hard to find stories. You can find a million and one stories about voodoo on the internet, but they are all, again, perpetuating this narrative of violence and darkness. And it's, you know, if you look up real voodoo stories, it's all this person killed their children because of voodoo. This person set somebody on fire because of voodoo. So it's all linked to really violent criminal activity and Mm. like acts of clearly acts of psychosis and you know all sorts of different things so i i had to i had to resort to a reddit story okay so i've got one more story and it deals with a character in voodoo that has been hollywoodized lately okay okay in in american horror story so what do you know about papa legba
1: Again, very little, but he comes into the sort of research with Robert Johnson. There's some some theories around who he met at the crossroads and Papa Legba being one of them.
0: So Papa Legba is like a gatekeeper of the crossroads between life and death. So in American Horror Story, he's portrayed as this like really powerful being who does deals with the devil and you ask him for favors. And that's actually not what Papa Legba is. So according to what I read about voodoo, that Papa Legba, he, he's like a gatekeeper, kind of like a boatman, if that makes sense. Yeah. And when um voodoo priests or priestesses or voodoo queens, when they want to contact the loa, they often have to go through Papa Legba that he's the one that makes that connection. So he's not he's not this sort of character that you see in American horror story, but he has become really popularized because of that and it's, and it's yeah. not actually the same character mm. whereas Papa Legba is actually the American horror story version is more so um, the loa that's called the baron who is a really scary creature okay. and i didn't even talk about him because it freaked me out too well, much okay yeah. <laughs> he's really frightening and literally comes and steals people away and like all sorts of crazy shit so this story comes from a user called quentin stark and the link is in the description if you want to read it yourself are you
1: ready no definitely not
0: so i was in a thread on humanoid encounters yesterday and ended up telling some stories about the year that a close friend of mine decided to try practicing voodoo. While I never participated in the actual practice, I was around for a lot of the rituals. I helped him gather materials and set up altars, and I got to witness a lot of the effects. I typed up two pretty long stories in that thread, but I figured you guys would enjoy them as well. They're a bit long, but they're quite interesting in my humble opinion, and they are 100% true. The first story is from my friend's very first Voodoo ritual. He decided, essentially, to ask Papa Legba to open his mind during a salvia trip. Basically, Papa Legba is the intermediary between the Loa and humanity. He supposedly speaks all languages and acts as a sort of crossroads guardian. I believe he also stands at the crossroads between life and death. He represents communication and understanding. My buddy decided to ask Papa Legba to provide understanding to him while he smoked a nice giant hit of 100x salvia. I came over to tripsit him, noticed the altar and asked what was up. He explained this plan to me, and I, being completely ignorant of voodoo at the time, didn't really see a problem with it. I smoked a bit of weed while he got everything set up. I believe he offered liquor to the Legba, which is a pretty common offering in voodoo. And maybe some other items I can't really recall. So he gets his hit ready. And I get ready to take the bong after he hits it so he doesn't break it. Before he hits his salvia he lights a candle on the altar and says. Papa Legba please open the gates so I may find understanding and wisdom. He then proceeds to smoke the salvia. I take the bong. He holds the smoke as long as he can and then he lets it out. I don't know how familiar folks are with high-extract salvia, but it is one intense hallucinogen. He and I had both smoked it before, but a much lesser strength. This was the first experience of 100X for either of us. After he released his hit, his head fell forward and a veritable waterfall of saliva dropped from his mouth. It kind of shocked me, as this was far more intense a physical reaction than I had ever seen trip-sitting him on Salvia prior. He started looking around the room, clearly seeing a completely different world, as is typical for Salvia. But I could see some pretty intense fear on his face. He was looking every direction with terror etched into every feature. He almost crawled into the candle and knocked a thing or two off the desk where the altar was, so I gently redirected him. He looked right through me as though I wasn't there. Things had been a bit freaky thus far, but nothing wildly beyond what we had done before. But that changed after he bumped the table. I should mention that his rat terrier was laying on his bed during all of this and had so far been completely chilled out. After my buddy bumped the table and rattled the altar, two things happened simultaneously. The temperature in the room dropped from around 75 degrees to frigid cold. It was warm one second, and the next second my breath was clouding the air, and his dog freaked out barking at the altar. I could feel a very strong presence in the room near the altar, which is in front of the window, and that's semi-important, and it definitely didn't feel friendly. Now between this friend and another, I've been around some pretty out there stuff, but I'm a fairly strong in faith Christian. I did what I've always done in these situations when my friends mess up. I grabbed the crucifix I wear 24-7 and started praying for protection and for the room to be cleansed. After a minute or two, the dog stopped barking and started whining, hopped off the bed and went to hide under it. The room started climbing in temperature and about 30 seconds later it was back to where it was. I felt the presence in the room recede and everything kind of returned to normal. Around this time, my buddy began coming too. The first thing he did was ask for weed, which I would already been packing since I was pretty rattled about what happened. Once he'd leveled out, I asked him what he saw while he was tripping. At the time, he couldn't remember. His memory stopped at me taking the bong and picked up with him fading back into consciousness and seeing me, apparently sheet white, sitting on his bed. It took a while for him to remember what he saw. He told me once he did, that when his head fell forward, he felt like he'd been blasted out of a cannon. He felt like he was hurtling through empty space and he saw a gigantic set of doors open in front of him with a figure he couldn't quite see clearly standing next to him. He shot through the doors and felt like he stopped. Once he stopped he said he saw countless eyes open all around him eyes of all shapes and colours and sizes. He said they all looked right at him staring at him intensely and he felt malice all around him. He said he was scared he could never get out from those doors and he'd be stuck there forever and would die there. Again, which is typical of Salvia trips. Finally, he felt like he was pulled backwards and saw the doors closing as he came from the trip. Like I said, this was his first ritual. He went forward with the rest of the year with a very healthy respect for the power of the Loa. Side note, the reason I say the location of the altar near the window was semi-important. That night, right around when the room went cold and I felt the presence in the room, an old man down the street in my friend's neighbourhood died. We found out the next day. We theorised that Legba had opened the gates to the afterlife and let my friend get a glimpse of something beyond them. When the man died, his spirit was going towards the gate, and so it ended up in the room with us due to the ritual being done. We have no idea if that's what happened, but I sure like that explanation better than other things it could have been. The second story essentially was the last ritual he did. Fitting that the first and last rituals would be the ones that stood out the most. This story involves a different Loa, the Gwede. The Gwede are spirits of the dead who loved life too much to pass on to the afterlife. They love partying, debauchery and fun. They, along with Papa Legba and Simbi, who is the messenger of Legba, a green serpent, spirits of the woods, trees and marshes, are the ones my friend made his offerings to while he was practising voodoo. The two times I was with him for major rituals to the Gway Day were both at house parties in the flats of Auckland. Something to note about the Gway Day is sometimes they will possess a person to interact better with the places they are summoned to. Possession by the Gway Day manifests in wildly eccentric behaviour, drinking, erratic movements and the like. Because they really love to party, The first party my buddy called on the Guaidou for was lots of fun. He didn't tell me what he asked for in return for his offerings, which was spiced rum and hot peppers, but it was a really chill evening, which was uncharacteristic for the area we were in. Overall, good time and nothing bad happened. The second time was not so much. The party was already a bit chaotic when we arrived, and people were pretty belligerent. The guy who was running security for the place had his gun visible the whole night, which was also uncharacteristic. When we got there, my friend set up the Guide’s altar, made his offerings and lit a candle. We were hoping things would relax after that. After an hour or so, we went back to check on the altar and found some distressing stuff. It is highly disrespectful to mess with an altar, especially when the candle is lit. Some people had set their cups and plates on the altar, the offerings were knocked around, it looked like someone had taken a chug of the spice rum, and worst of all, the candle was out. Now he had set this up in the host's bedroom and the host knew what was going on. We had expected the altar to be well out of the way and safe like the last time. Pretty much soon as we saw it, we knew shit had hit the fan. We went into the backyard to smoke a bit and get our nerves. There was a fire pit in the backyard and a fire lit due to the night being pretty cold. We were standing around the fire smoking and discussing what we were going to do when a dude we'd never seen before walked up to us. Now this is a party so we weren't surprised people were being social. However the look of this guy immediately set off red flags. He was in a pair of shorts, no shoes, no shirt. And it was really cold outside but he wasn't even shivering. He had a handle of spiced rum in his hand and was drinking it like water when he walked up. The biggest thing, though, were his eyes. I figured that maybe he was after taking ecstasy or something, but his pupils weren't dilated at all. However, his eyes had a a look about them. I can't really describe it, but it was scary, and it was new, and it was strange. All of this aside, neither of us were too worried until he greeted both of us by name. Again, we had no clue who this guy was. He started chatting to us, asking questions and being extremely jovial. Every so often he'd ask one of us something he had no business even knowing enough to ask. For example, he asked my friend how his sister was doing by name. He was also acting just weird. He did a quick in and out hop into the fire at one point, laughing his ass off. He kept chugging rum, it was freaky. After a few minutes he said goodbye, again calling us by name and walked off. Immediately my friend asked me if I felt weird. We both knew what the signs of the Gwede possessing someone were at this point and this dude fit the mark perfectly. We went and found the host, described the guy, she didn't know him We went looking for him and couldn't find him. Both of us were shitting bricks at this point. Around this time the party started getting rather hostile. The band playing in the living room got bottles thrown at them. A couple of fights started. People got kicked out forcibly. The security guy had his hand on his pistol and was trying to keep the peace. After another half hour or so the host shut down the party. And it took another 20 minutes or so for us to get everyone out. Since the host was a friend of ours, my friend and I pitched in and we managed to herd everyone out without any more chaos. Once everyone was gone, it was the security guy, the host, my friend and myself in the house. We smoked a bit together and talked about how out of hands things had gotten. Usually parties at this house were fairly relaxed affairs, so everyone was pretty shaken up at how the night had gone. My friend and I refrained from telling them about the grey day at the time, because we didn't want to freak them out. After we smoked, we went back in to go to sleep. And this is where things get messed up. Once we were all inside, we heard a loud smack against the living room window. The outside lights were on and we could see someone silhouetted in the window behind the shade. Again, the loud smack. We saw the person hit the window, hard. The security guy pulled his gun. This was Oakland. Oakland. And shit like this wasn't exactly uncommon in this part of town. He walked over to the window, pointed his gun and yanked the shade. There was nobody there. Right when he pulled back the shade, the living room dropped to a freezing temperature. The host had been running the heater all night, so this was a drastic change. Another bang, this time at the back door. Security guy goes to the back door, pulls it open and there's nobody there. The host is crying at this point and security is looking panicked. I'm trying to fix the situation like I did with Legba but my buddy is just standing there white as a ghost. We all decided to just sleep in the living room together. The temperature kept fluctuating going from normal to freezing. We got blankets and cushions and got together in the middle of the living room. I kept doing what I was doing. My friend performed a cabalistic ritual used for cleansing and we tried to get some rest. For most of the rest of the night, the temperatures in the whole house would be fluctuating wildly. We saw the kitchen windows fog over at one point and then unfog a few minutes later. The temperature in the living room was all over the place. When someone would go to the bathroom, sometimes it would be warm, sometimes frigid cold. The worst part, though, was that we kept hearing footsteps in different areas of the house. We never saw anything and no footsteps came into the living room where we were but we would hear them in hallways, in the kitchen, in the host bedroom. They'd start in random places and stop a few seconds later. Needless to say, none of us slept. The security guy never set his gun down. My friend did the banishing ritual twice more, an hour or two apart, and I kept up my efforts. Finally, close to 5am, things stopped. The temperature stabilised. We stopped hearing footsteps and it was like a shroud had been lifted off the house. There was a very palpable sense of change and everyone felt it. We got a few hours of sleep after that, then my friend and I got out of there. That was the last real ritual my friend did. After that we went way up the mountains, bushwhacked several miles off one of our favourite trails and found a beautiful clearing right on a stream. We set up permanent altars for Simbi, Papalegba and the Gwede in spots of the clearing we thought they'd like. My friend made final offerings and told the Loas we wouldn't be bothering them again. After that, no more voodoo. He was way too shaken by what had happened, and I wasn't trying to be around that anymore either. He had one moment a few months later when we camped out along the trail when he said that he thought he could see several ephemeral figures watching us from the direction where the altars were, but they didn't bug us and we didn't feel in danger. Overall, that was a crazy year, Voodoo is one wild thing to get into, and can it have some wild effects? I'm glad it isn't something he does anymore. On a side note, there was something interesting he and I discussed. I never once made an offering to any of the Loa. I never asked them for anything, never spoke to them, except the guede possessed guy. I never bothered them myself. It was all my friends doing the asking and the offering. All I ever did was help to find places for altars, pick out nice gifts for the loas and help make things as good for them as I could in order to help my friend out. I imagine that while the loas very clearly had a lot of contempt for my friend, Voodoo is Haitian after all and he's extremely white European, we, ma- we imagine that they probably liked me a fair bit since all I ever did was good things for them without asking for anything in return. I would never do voodoo myself but something tells me they'd be a lot more willing to work with me given our past track record than they were with him.
1: A little bit presumptuous. (laughs) A little bit presumptuous. And also,
0: i read numerous times in the research that I did that if you are not a black person and if you are not going to Haiti to get initiated, you should not be practicing voodoo. That is what I've read numerous times in this research. There was a bit in the hoodoo um article in cosmopolitan that talked about how to set up a particular hoodoo ritual but i was like i'm not including that because i i have no right to include that anywhere
1: there's a difference between what they do in haiti and what they do in new orleans though right it's a different variant of the same of the same same route
0: i think there's different variations in lots of different places
1: man that story is um wild
0: well do you know why i loved it right because there's a great admission that yet we were doing loads of drugs yeah (laughs) and nothing too outrageous happened it wasn't as if he's like we were doing all the drugs then Papa Legba appeared (laughs) and gave me loads of gifts it's like it's little things that happen in that story that I think are really interesting
1: so my experience of drug taking is very minimal in that I've smoked and ate weed once (laughs) but um (laughs) I'd imagine if you uh, make a big thing about talking about uh, getting someone to open doors to you and then you take a massive hit on a bong with something that is a hallucinogen. And the a chance, strong hallucinogen. A strong hallucinogen. The chances are that you are going to see someone open a door for you, right? <laughs> regardless, Absolutely. Regardless of whether you're having a spiritual experience or not. But the, in, the
0: interesting <laughs> thing about that story isn't the guy's experience when he's tripping. It's the guy's experience who isn't yeah, tripping. Yeah, that is that's true. The plunge in temperature and the dog reacting mm. and all of that stuff that's what's interesting about that story
1: yeah yeah that is I don't uh, uh, the idea of going to parties and setting up little waters is crazy for me as well
0: and I just don't understand why you do that do you know what this is a terrible thing to say I'm casting aspersions on this boy's character that is a desperate attempt to look cool at a party Yeah, I am going to this party they sound like pretty alternative people you know they've got a band playing at the party people are doing drugs whatever he goes to this party and he's like sorry don't so just give me a minute I just need to go set up my altar sorry what you're set up your what my voodoo altar my yeah my voodoo I'm just going to go set it up how do you expect people at a party are going to pay respect to a voodoo <laughs> altar yeah. when nobody else is practicing voodoo except for you
1: and sometimes it's hard to get people to pay respect to the house they're in let alone yeah never mind paying
0: <laughs> respect to a voodoo altar okay again this is another case of somebody opening doors where they had no business opening yeah although
1: yes you're 100% right and I'm not going against that but the idea of um having spirits that are solely all about the partying and then setting them off in parties is kind of cool
0: fair play to them for being like do you know who'd love a party <laughs> the party lowers yeah they'd love it let's invite them along they're a bit of crack and what i really liked about this story was that so before i read this story i'd watched that video of the voodoo queen in brooklyn mm. and honestly i so recommend that you watch the video because they are having a whale of a time there's all these different loas for different parts of like life I guess but when she embodied the party loas honestly she was necking rum and rum is like a thing rum is rum is the offering of choice spiced rum and then there was like um loas that that represent sex and relationships and everyone's doing like highly sexualized dancing it's incredible it's incredible and this story was like a little little tiny glimpse into that but again if it's not your culture, why are you dabbling in this?
1: And who's the dude that rocks up at the fire in the shorts and, shorts and T-shirt?
0: Hopping in and out of the fire? Yeah. And being just a little bit off and necking a bottle of rum like it was water?
1: I mean, there have been plenty of occasions in my past where I've been so drunk that actually the the amount of clothing I've got on compared to the temperature is probably... It lessens. <laughs> when,
0: the drunker you get, the <laughs> yeah. less clothes you wear. Yeah. that's a, That is a fact.
1: <laughs> so... That it may have just been a really drunk person, but it is an odd coincidence.
0: It is an odd coincidence. So, what are your thoughts on voodoo and hoodoo after hearing that?
1: I think it's legit. It's obviously legit, isn't it?
0: Well, it is. It's a, it's a, it's one hundred percent legit because it's religion. Yeah, and hoodoo is witchcraft essentially, or not? It's a form of witchcraft. It's it. You know, they work with roots and herbs and curios are like animal entrails and stuff and you know what it's real because people practice it yeah and people believe in it like any religion of course it's real because people believe in it i just didn't i don't think i really understood it
1: i still don't think i do to be honest with you. i don't think There's we ever so will much to it yeah i'd be very interested to sort of find out how strongly the west african links survive into voodoo and how much of it has been altered based on what they've but what they experienced and what they reacted to once they were the other side of the oceans I'd speak so when they arrived how much of Voodoo has, has come as a, a result of circumstance of what they've experienced of, of a mixing of customs with other things and how much of it has survived so if you were to go back to sort of traditional religion in West Africa and and compare it it would be interesting I think
0: yeah that would be that would be interesting and I yeah, I think it's just it's a whole fascinating world, isn't it? Mm. Um just to clarify as well, the story about Aunt Julia that I uh, read uh, chunks that were taken from a website called Mental Floss. And um, the link again is in the description. And um, because they wrote an absolutely fantastic article about Aunt Julia, so I didn't I didn't really feel the need to to rework it into my own words because it was it was brilliantly written. If you enjoyed this week's episode and you have any uh, comments about voodoo please feel free to send them to us. You can find everything you need to know about us on reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com. You can send us an email at reallifeghoststoriespodcast at gmail.com. You can support our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Stories, where for $5 or $2 a month, you get access to heaps of extra content. And on that note, we shall see you next week. Bye. (laughs) The lowers, and when she channeled the party lowers, she was neck and raw.
1: What do you know about party lowers?
0: What, baby? Are you so hungry? Oh gosh! Do you want to tell us about it?